Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of The Show. I refuse to call it The Fillionaire Show now because I feel so weird knowing that there's a new name coming, but I don't want to say the new name yet either, so that's just The Show. Today I have a return visit from Will Reason, and we last week discussed what it would be like to have a conversational show. I haven't done this one in a while. The last one was Jason Goldberg in March of 2020, right before COVID hit. That's a fascinating episode to listen to because we had no idea what was about to happen. Mm. Today... Will and I are going to do a deep dive, just follow our intellectual curiosity as far as it wants to go and see what happens. Mm. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I'm excited. Mm -hmm. So what was the thing we just got into right before this where I like had to pause because I knew it was going to be juicy? I was talking about time, extroversion, yes. introversion. Extroversion and introversion. Yeah. So you said that you used to be an extrovert. Yeah. Primarily, yeah. And in the last, I'm assuming, decade, you've spent more and more yeah. time yeah. spending time alone Gradually, so that you could, yeah. and you said, I quote, focus your energy. That's right. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, I'm now a, I'm a practiced introvert now. It's like a practice of mine to conserve my energy to focalize it and point it at something, whether that be a line of study, whether that be some sort of introspection, whether that be... Um, a, you know, teaching, producing something or another. <clears throat> but the I used to spread my energy all over the place in relationships, having fun, doing all sorts of things. I was a lot younger. <laughs> Not that I'm old, but I was a lot younger. And now what I find is that when I conserve a bit more, it helps my energy be less fragmented or my attention be less fragmented and more focalized on specific things in my life. And um, it's part of how I've been able to create the, the lifestyle that I live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I relate completely. I've probably been doing the practice introversion for less time than you. Uh -huh. I've always been highly extroverted, always out doing all of the things. Yeah. And this messaging that kept coming to me is like, spend more time alone, spend more time alone. Yeah. And I've always noticed throughout my entire life, and this sounds crazy being an extrovert, when I do spend more time alone, I actually get into like my highest vibration. Yeah. Because like, if I'm only surrounded by my energies and thoughts, it's like generally a highly positive. Yep. And like, similar. I, I kind of like spiral myself. Mm -hmm. You know, the way I hype other people, like I hype myself yeah. when I'm alone, yeah. which some people say is maybe too much hype mm -hmm. and like too much confidence. I love it. I don't know. Is there such a thing? I'm not sure. I mean, sure. I guess in the case of narcissism, we could say too much, but I, I don't even think that that's too much confidence. I think mm. it's, it's, it's uh, other things. It's, other, it's something yeah. else entirely. That's like an interesting topic, actually. So the way I've looked at narcissism is that it's like a gradient. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a gradient of personality traits yep. in conjunction with others, right? Yep. So if we look at it as like a bar graph, it's like some things being high with other things being low. Yep. So for instance, the extroversion and assertiveness being high yep. with compassion, with empathy, yep. and maybe with... Uh, conscientiousness being low. Absolutely. When I'd say that internal locus of control versus an external locus of control. Um, ooh, ooh, break that down for me. Okay, so locus of control. So uh, I'm, everything in life is about me. Everything in life is happening because of me. Everything in life is happening because of other, right? Extreme external locus of control. Everything in the world is happening to me. So radical responsibility versus 100%. radical versus yeah everyone else is causing these things that are Talk happening to me, to me. Yeah. victim maybe we could say but i don't even i wouldn't even necessarily frame it like that mm -hmm. but yeah the world's happening to me um 
any sort of evangelical religious ideology where something out there, some sort of force outside is affecting me and I have zero control over anything versus I am entirely the center of everything, the universe, right? So those are extremes. I also think of um, narcissism as an augmentation or an adaptation in brain development. Okay. If we read um, any of Bruce Perry's research, we start to understand the sequencing of brain development. Brain development gets interrupted and thwarted at certain points during the developmental process, which will lead to certain character structures and certain, um, or like a lack of empathy, right? Empathy centers form as a result, and I'm paraphrasing here without getting too deep into the brain science of it, but um, if I don't have someone reflecting to me and mirroring my behavior, the section of my brain that is where mirror neurons develop may not develop. So if I don't have that developed, I don't have empathy. Mm. I can't feel what you're feeling because I literally, that part of my brain does not function the same way. So there's, it, I, it can be learned through proper nurturing and support and care. Right? We can develop that part of the brain. Dr. Dan Siegel points at this, where he did some of this with a 93-year-old man. It's a really fascinating story that he tells. It What's lectures. really fascinating is a 93-year-old man that would want to shift. Exactly. Well, he didn't want to for himself. Mm. He was an attorney that was incredibly successful throughout his entire career, and he did that without having the empathy centers, right? And clinically, you'd look at that person and say, I oh, look, this part of the brain is less active, um, and they're less emotional as a result, right? But his wife, he was having, he was disconnected with his wife, I think is how the story goes when Dan tells it. And it's just fascinating over a couple of years working with Dr. Dan Siegel, like, that part of the brain started to develop and they had imaging that they could show qualitative analysis of how the brain's changing. Brain changes, personality structure changes, emotion like EQ mm -hmm. starts to change, relatability. And when the guy started to feel, he said, is this, what have you done to me? This is horrible. <laughs> I'm so sensitive. I'm feeling things. Yeah. Because he'd gone his whole life without having to feel anything. Mm. Right. And Bruce Perry, who he recently co-authored a book with Oprah. Mm. Um, was it, it didn't start with you. Is that like affiliate marketing at its highest level? At its highest level. Yeah. Probably. Did Oprah write any of that? I have or is no it just idea. her name on it? <laughs> I have no idea, right? Maybe okay. she wrote the foreword. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Or maybe it was a true partnership. I'm it not could sure. have been. Yeah. I don't know. It basically, it, it, looking at development and then cross-pollinating. I haven't read that particular book. The book that I loved was The, the Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. Dr. Bruce Perry talks about his time working with children in a variety of different circumstances. One of those was the child was actually raised in a dog cage like a dog, and the child behaved more like a dog. Whoa. And through proper nurturing and care, the brain development was able to form, and the child was able to integrate back into society. But um, through measuring, and um, Bruce Perry's created a whole model called the neurosequential model, where it's taught to therapists, and you can use this model to help to support um, early developmental trauma and being integrated into the brain development the brain sequencing. Hmm. But narcissism, really, when we look at it clinically, is a byproduct of different than normal brain development, hmm. right? Underdeveloped. Some certain yeah. things. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. That, most of that comes from a lack of nurturing. Being left to, to cry for too long, not having mom or dad or somebody attend to us when we needed to be cooed at mm. or be rocked. So this, this brings up a really fascinating subject. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to seem like a tangent. I know you're going to pick cool. up on it. You brought up dogs uh -huh. and then the boy who was raised with dogs. But let's just talk about animals in general, but uh -huh. even more particularly dogs. Yep. Have you looked into 
any research on the idea, the, the cliche, which of course all cliches hold truth, that dogs reflect the personalities of their owners? No, I haven't, but I do know that dogs function, their nervous system functions similar to humans. They have a vagus nerve. They're, I think, one of the only animals that tracks the left eye for emotional um, cues. So when a dog's tracking a human, it's tracking their eye and the pupil dilation and movements of the eye, that part of the face, and that's where a lot of emotional cueing comes from. There is a resonance in the development of the dog's nervous system. So we know that children and infants develop behavioral patterns, emotional regulation patterns based on the imprinting from their caregivers, whether that be mom and dad or other dominant caregivers, dogs do similarly. So personality structure would would stand a reason. Yeah. That's how I explain it scientifically, but yeah. And then and then there's another piece that kind of aligns with that. So that explains one thing, which is the imprinting of mm-hmm. we'll just call it fields and habits and personality traits of those around you. Yep. Right? Which can also lead to this this gradient of closer down that path that other people might label as narcissism but Mm -hmm. we might label as more specifically these other traits and energy centers and whatnot in the brain Mm -hmm. being developed or underdeveloped the interesting part about that for me is let me phrase this really appropriately There's a couple things that I'm very aware of in the study of everything that I've studied. And in somatics, the way that we break it down in our education is body, breath, and sound. Mm -hmm. It's like things that affect your physical form, Mm -hmm. right? So body is like movement, Mm -hmm. right? So if someone's feeling like stuck energy and you move, Mm -hmm. that stuck energy moves. It doesn't necessarily go away. Yeah. It will move. Yeah. Breath work, right, can have dramatic impacts on people's nervous system and on the energy and it can really move things sometimes people aren't ready for that right and it moves things and they didn't know it was going to move certain things or that those things were even there and they can become overwhelmed yeah Mm -hmm. and then sound yep so like vibration music right like if someone were to host a music festival after a big experiential day it could be like a really cathartic and amazing thing for them really blissful state so body, breath, and sound. So when it comes to something like a dog or even a baby, mm-hmm. when they're in that imprinting state in the, I would guess in the womb actually for a baby, mm-hmm. or potentially in that zero to two years range, I know is where a lot of that, mm-hmm. I believe occurs before speaking really becomes a before thing. Before the hippocampus fully develops, mm-hmm. right? So we have implicit memory development. All memory is implicit memory up until the point of the hippocampus developing because the hippocampus is what helps us to store like time, date, stamp, everything. Mm-hmm. So before that's fully developed and it usually develops somewhere between two to two to five mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah so then and this is obviously not what I'm about to say is I don't know if it's been studied I'm curious to hear this mm-hmm. but this is just for play with people who are listening mm-hmm. if body breath and sound are the somatic gateways mm-hmm. we could say at least the main ones then in a baby if you were worried about something like this this gradient being off right Mm -hmm. or some of these things being higher or lower because they all kind of come into the world with a certain thing too Mm -hmm. i'm very familiar that movement and sound in particular Mm. like literally light up the entire brain yeah right and then breath is it's the as jagger says Mm -hmm. it's the one thing that is unconsciously controlled that you can consciously That's take right. control of. That's right. Yeah, it's the only branch of the. It's the only part of our autonomic nervous system that we can consciously control. Mm. Our, well, at least normal people, right? Correct, yeah. There's like monks that do crazy stuff with that. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah, they influence one thing to influence another for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Slow your breathing down. Your heart rate slows down. 
mm-hmm. blood pressure changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then the question is for a human, you know, or especially a baby or even a dog, mm-hmm. right? Let's just do one at a time. Have you dug into sound and like music and its effects on all of us? Uh, a little bit. My mom's actually working with Dr. Stephen Porges right now um, with his safe sound protocol work or the sound frequency work that he's doing. Mm-hmm. What, and what he, for those listening who don't know, Dr. Stephen Porges is the founder of what's called the polyvagal theory, which is a study of the branches of the nervous system and, and how we relate as humans um, to the relational dynamics that occur as a result of measuring. I mean, as a result of the development of our nervous system, right? And polyvagal meaning the multiple branches of the vagus nerve, right? Mm-hmm. So we... I, it's like so many questions for you. We thought there was just fight and flight or and freeze, right? Fight, flight being sympathetic, freeze being parasympathetic. But what, what Poor just points to is that we have different branches of the parasympathetic nervous system. One, which is our social engagement system, which is the ventral branch, the front of the body is where the constellation of the nerves lie. And then the dorsal branch, which is like a dorsal fin on the back of the body. The dorsal vagal complex really, con- he, what his theory points to is the dorsal vagal complex controlling things like rest and digest and immobilization. And the ventral vagal complex being like our modulator, like the brake pedal for social interaction. It also helps us to cue for like cueing of safety, threat, social safety, vocal prosody, so voice inflection, eye movements, facial facial movements, and all sorts of other things. So to come back around to your question, he's been studying the impact of sound frequencies on the body, and one of the points of influence is the vestibular system. So when we play certain sound frequencies, I'm still going through the training, so I can't speak with authority about the specific ranges and things like that. But what we now know is that people with sensory processing differences, like autism spectrum and a variety of other different things that impact the functioning of a person's ability to process sensory information, learning delays, speech delays, things like that, we can affect that using sound frequencies played simply through headphones while doing certain movement patterns inside of our body. And my mother uses an application of these tools with a lot of her therapeutic clients. Um, And so she's working in conjunction with a team of of people to translate some of this from occupational therapy to the more therapeutic world uh, right at the moment. It's pretty cool. So to to answer your question, yes, sound frequency plays an enormous role in how our body responds to its environment. But you think about it, everything from light to matter Mm -hmm. is frequency. Mm -hmm. It's a variety. We've got different... Mm -hmm. So like fluorescent lights flicker at a very low rate. So if you have a camera and you're trying to record slow motion, they're flickering. And what I've learned about that is that your brain is filling in the gaps of that flicker, even if you're not recording in slow motion. It's just the way that our eyes work, which makes you tired because your brain is like constantly doing this, this thing in the background so that you can see without the flicker. So when you get high quality lights or like sunlight, the frequency is much higher. So your brain's not doing any work or much work at all to fill in those gaps, Mm -hmm. but also like color temperature adjustments. I mean, it's the reason why sunlight is the ideal light and why big open homes with like a lot of natural light are so attractive to us and why it, it literally, you feel a certain way, right? Think about a friend's home where you walk in and it's like so much beautiful light. There is a, a certain you know, Mm -hmm. vibe to that thing. And of course, certain people are attracted to that type of environment. 
So there was a period of time where I was listening to a lot of like Eminem and things like that. And then I started to notice like I just had a certain feeling all the time. Mm -hmm. And then not being a religious person, like a spiritual person, Mm -hmm. I started um, doing an experiment with myself that lasted for two years Mm -hmm. where I only listened to Christian rock. Interesting. And Christian rap sometimes, but Uh mostly rock just Uh to see like how that would affect me. And it affected me dramatically. Yeah. I just noticed that these like uplifting songs and yeah. now people have a thing it's called like skip songs uh-huh. so they'll send me things like certain uplifting electronic music. songs or whatever like uplifting music yeah. because they know that's like my vibe and then if you come to the live experiences mm-hmm. where I work with the stuff the music is such a way it is. it's not always bright and airy it can be dark too it's always a journey though that's and right. I always leave people on like the high note of everything mm-hmm. so that you can experience because really being human is about experiencing the depth of emotion, right? right? The full range, right? The thing, I think I said this last time, right? Mm. Um, what, what, well, at least what I point to and what I believe is really con- like being able to experience life is the full range. I want to be able to experience the, you know, the joys. I want to be able to experience the heartaches. I want to be able to experience happiness, sadness, right? Excitement, fear, right? The whole range, mm. love, pain. And the way that I, I spoke about this this morning, it just kind of clicked. I was I was taking a walk. Do you know Joe Lucky? Yeah. Yeah. So I was with Joe this morning and showing him. He's, he's going to be at the event on Friday. Nice. And he's going to be photographing. So I wanted him oh, to experience nice. it a little bit beforehand. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And when I was discussing it, I was like, you know those people when you come up to them and they're smiling, but you can tell they're deeply sad inside? Yeah. That's incoherence. Yeah. It's totally fine. I love that. It's yeah. no problem for me to be around. There's lots of people that are bothered by that incoherence. And so, of course, what we're teaching in that work is to become coherent. And when someone is coherent, even if they're so sad and ashamed of themselves, Mm -hmm. it's just themselves. It's not incoherent. It's coherent shame. It's coherent anger. It's coherent sadness or joy or inspiration or enlightenment, right? So this idea of coherence is really interesting to me when we go back to the brain thing of like activating the centers of the brain where you're like, will it be easier to tap into empathy if I have the awareness that my empathy is low? If I put on a song that generates the feeling of empathy of what I think it could be. Only if that part of the brain developed. Mm. So if I don't have that part of the brain developed, it just won't happen. And when we say part of the brain developed, you mean like those neural circuits are, because of course it is developed, like like physically developed, structurally developed. Although I have an interesting story about a situation where I found someone who structurally it was actually not there, but very rare in Mm -hmm. that case, like one in a billion or something. So because music and movement light up the entirety of the brain, let me ask you this. You ever met a CrossFit athlete that wasn't a fun person? Yeah. Yeah? You met them that they were like a boring person? Agitated, maybe. Agitated, like yeah. super angry, yeah. right? Like aggressive people. Aggressive, agitated. <clears throat> yeah. In all the industries I've ever worked in, whether it's like video or fitness mm-hmm. or personal development or mindfulness, and you've also worked in sound engineering, which is, I'm getting to that, because mm-hmm. that's an interesting component to this story of mm-hmm. why you might be more sensitive and knowledgeable about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, particularly the way that you said lasering your focus, I'm mm-hmm. going to get into. So the fitness people have always been the funnest. Mm-hmm. They've always been the most pleasurable to be around. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because it's so common 
that body, breath, and sound yeah. are their daily practices. Yes. You know, two, three times, five times a day, 10 times a day for these people. Yeah. They're living in the somatic field. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where other people are living in like the conscious field. Yeah. A lot of the time they're thinking, they're yeah. trying to solve problems. Yeah. Right? What do you think about that? I think it's really interesting because um, what is the impact of our day-to-day -day behavior on the way we relate with the world, right? And that's what you're pointing to. <clears throat> For some people, um, it really is that. We're more in our bodies. We're more relating with our body in a different way. And that has a tendency to connect us in a different way to ourselves than somebody who sits at a desk all day. That's less connected to their body, that's less in their body, in the movement of their body, in the felt experience of their body. And not everybody who's involved in fitness is connected to their body. Even if they're making noises, even if they're mm -hmm. moving, it doesn't mean that they're sensing themselves. And not everyone who's sitting at a desk working all the time is disconnected from their bodies. There are many people who are incredibly sensory aware, right? So, um, I, rather than me pointing to one way versus another, what I what I often will say is maybe we find people who are more likely to be connected to their bodies in movement, maybe. Mm -hmm. And and also within the movement world, people that are desensitizing the bodies on a Correct. daily basis or a multiple times a day That's basis. Right. Yeah, and a lot of that is I'm going to use my mind to tell my body what to do. I'm conquering my body. I'm directing my body i'm ruling my body i'm deciding what my body does right so there isn't as much of a relationship with our body as there is with like a conquering it kind of thing right it's a very different uh, orientation mm -hmm. to body yeah right rather than what does my body need right now where is my body saying enough right rather than that it's i'm deciding how much is enough I'm going to push just a little bit more, even though I'm getting the signal that, no, I've done too much, right? I can, I can always conquer my body. I can always do more, right? And that's a big, that's a big part of it. You know, it's interesting. I feel like every conversation I'm having is leading me to the same, the same place mm -hmm. about this stuff, mm -hmm. which is like how important the work that I am doing right now is. Yeah. Because it's like, I, I, I keep getting the message. It's like the foundation of everything else, of I, everything yeah. else. I think so. Well, and, and to kind of circle back to, you know, our what brought us here to even being in this conversation today, one of the things that <clears throat> that I see that's an overlap between you and I philosophically, even if the application of how we get there might be a slightly different uh, technique, there's still philosophically the same, a similar foundation at least, which is, can we notice what is? Can we notice ourselves? without changing it, can we just notice it? Can we begin there without judgment, without label, without shame, and without a need to change it? Can we start there by noticing what is? And from there, can we bring in a little bit of active participation in what is, hmm. right? Because from that, something magical happens and it doesn't require a lot of effort. And that's what we're getting into right now, which is like feeling mm -hmm. is the thing. Yep. Right. And, and that's actually, we said that earlier, it's, it's connecting is like mm -hmm. the depth of feeling is the human experience. That's what, that's what it is. Yeah. And it doesn't mean emoting. Mm. Right. Right. And when you use the word feeling, what I hear in that interpretation is an awareness of myself, sensory awareness 
right? An awareness of my thoughts, an awareness of my emotions, an awareness of my sensations, awareness of myself in space, proprioception, right? Interoception, proprioception, right? All of those things, neuroception. Like, am I aware that I'm where I am? Am I aware of the chair that I'm in right now? Am I aware of my feet touching the floor, right? Am I aware of my back? So how do we... What do you think we do about this? There's like a challenge that's underlying with this, right? Mm. Let's say there's someone who wants to be a, a successful person, right? A high achiever. They want to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. They want to drive a nice car. They want to have a beautiful husband or wife. They they want success. Mm -hmm. right? I love that you just qualified success too because I was getting ready to ask you what is success, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So let's say that they're listening or watching or someone that is listening or watching wants someone that they know, mm -hmm. classic, to listen to this yep. and like get inspired to do something, right? Yeah. There's usually, in my experience of it, it's a little bit, the progress does not go straight up. No, no. It goes in loop-de-loops and yeah. somersaults and it does crazy things, right? Yes, yes. So when someone does become aware and they begin to feel like it definitely is the answer to fulfillment it it definitely yeah. is the answer to living a beautiful life where yeah. you know my thing is every single day i just want to go to sleep happy mm -hmm. i want to like go to sleep fulfilled i should even say because yeah. like i've gone to sleep crying for sure mm -hmm. and knowing that i did the best that i could even though i failed at yeah. whatever the thing was yeah so feeling and being in coherence with those feelings is definitely how you get to that point, mm -hmm. at least in my experience of it thus far. I love what you just said there, Skip. Being in coherence with our feelings, right? And <clears throat> where I, what I'll throw into the mix here is um, what we see in Eastern uh, philosophical conversations, which is contentment with what is, right? coherence with what is i can be connected to reality i can be content with reality or coherent i can be real right real as if we can't be real somehow right mm. but rather than being disconnected from reality rather than being in my head being in a substance with my attention moved somewhere else rather than needing to change it I'm really, I'm here with the reality of what is. I'm experiencing my emotions. I'm experiencing my body. I'm aware of those things. I'm not f bringing force to the equation. I have that contentment. Now, how do we harmonize that with the idea that perspective is everything? Mm. Because that is also a universal truth, mm. is the context is context. everything right mm -hmm. so like you and i let's say you made a billion dollars last year uh -huh. income and i made ten dollars last year of income mm -hmm. and we're both in this house right now and someone comes up and says um we're going to give you both a mercedes mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. for me the the ten dollar a year person yeah. they're going to freak out it's going to be the most amazing thing ever for the person who made a billion dollars they're like i don't can you give this uh, call my brother give it to my brother mm. you know it's like not a thing right well if we assume 
the personality structure of those two individuals based on their socioeconomic status and based on the norm within those brackets of uh, personality structure, yes. And what I could say is that both of those people could have the same response if they were living in coherence, as to use your word, or they were content with reality as it was. I could be in full celebration of receiving that Mercedes, even though I have plenty of money, because money's just, you know, it's an abstraction of, you know, digital whatever, right? And and I could be just as content with receiving that kind of a gift at $10 a year, right? So we make assumptions about the happiness, about the, um, the orientation to certain things based on income levels. Right. Not that that's right or wrong, simply just that, that we have a tendency to do that. And yet there are there are people without income that still have that same relationship with life, mm. that same contentment with life, because the context and coming back to your thing about context, the context of their lived experience um, allows for that. So we say maybe a monk. No income, no need. Kind of. Yeah, that's great. I would have preferred a Prius. I got a Mercedes. Great. Billionaire. Meh. I would have preferred a Ferrari. I got a Mercedes. Meh. Right. We can we can reach that state and there's a, the pathway there I think is the coming into contact with reality. Because more often than not what we're going to see is the response that you described. Right. 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 So then let's take perspective. 23-year-old woman living in an apartment, and I'm creating a character for us, mm-hmm. living in an apartment in New York City that she shares with three other women, and there's two bedrooms, and there's two bunks in each of the bedrooms, mm-hmm. and they're all working like one or two jobs mm-hmm. and artists on the side. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's call this woman Susan. Great. And let's say Susan listens to this interview. She listens to uh, Tony Robbins. She listens to who's that wonderful manifestation meditation woman, really popular. We can name any of them. Let's mm-hmm. say Emily Fletcher. Great. Let's say one of those, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she reads The Secret. She mm-hmm. listens, listens to Lisa Nichols, right? Yeah. Super inspired all the time. Mm-hmm. So she's taking on these practices yeah. of speaking into her future self yeah. and saying like, I'm going to be a multi-multi-millionaire mm-hmm. and I'm going to be super successful and I'm going to be so happy. One of the things I've learned over time is by saying, like, so this is one preface, mm-hmm. by saying I'm going to be this someday, mm-hmm. You are creating separation between you and the going to be. It still exists in the future. It still exists in the future rather than like, I am allowing this to happen Mm -hmm. even more than it already is. So the thing I always encourage is like, recognize the seeds Mm -hmm. of these things already in your life and allow everything to know that you want even more of those seeds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And unconscious uh, programming, right? We, we notice more of where we put our attention. If we start talking about, um, the new Broncos, Mm. right? We, if we have a whole conversation about the way that the new Broncos are shaped, the our like or a dislike of that, when we go out into the world, what's going to happen is our attention is going to notice those because we're thinking about it, because we're talking about it, because we're you know imagining it. And the beautiful, the brilliance of our organism is that it is in search of that which we're attending to. 
So Susan, being that she's oriented to these things, is looking how it's not there now yeah. and how it could be there in the future. And even though she's looking at how it's not there now and could be there in the future, because she's oriented to the possibility of these things, she's more likely going to find herself in situations that draw her towards that when if her roommates are oriented towards um, unhappiness and they're really oriented to the lack and what's missing in their life. So they're going to keep noticing what's missing. She's going to keep noticing possibilities. She may not be grasping the possibilities. She may not be having the possibilities unfold in her life. She may find herself missing them. But nonetheless, she's going to be noticing mm. the possibilities there. What's the what what does Susan do to like nudge herself off the uh, off the cliff so she can fly? Mm. What is the next step if she's like doing all these these empowering affirmations? Maybe she's starting to hopefully collect a circle of people that she's finding that are also doing similar things. Mm -hmm. She's still living with the three roommates that maybe aren't doing all of these empowering things. Mm -hmm. What's what's like if we walk along her journey mm -hmm. of like what could happen that would mm -hmm. get her to the point where she is truly living in fulfillment and mm -hmm. going to sleep fulfilled every night. Yeah. From where she is now, what's the next step? So obviously the social circle. So like really really paying attention to the people in your life that you love already that are very supportive and encouraging of those habits yeah and saying okay i want that and even more of that mm -hmm. what else well so like i said last time the process of reduction instead of addition right there's there is both right so crowding out as we talked about this last time um crowding out's the natural byproduct and reduction so what are the things that need to be removed um, and that may be certain relationships. And what are the things that need to be added in? So that in? that boyfriend that doesn't do much, that doesn't want to do much. That's right. That wants her to do very little with her. Now, here's another question. Is him not doing much and not wanting to do much? And it, is that something that's true about him? Or is that something that she's seeing in him? Hmm. And is... His preferences no longer line up with her preferences. Mm. Is he right or wrong? No. Yes. Whatever our orientation is, right? And how do you recommend Susan would define whether or not it's her old model of reality that she's recognizing these things in him or if it's the objective reality? Mm. Well, that's one of those things, right? Is it objective or subjective reality? Yes. It's both. So there, there are elements that, that she'll be noticing that are subjective mm -hmm. entirely. And then there are objective things that will be pointing to that, that will be triggering the subjective reality pers perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, So it's a little bit of both. How do we discern the two? We need to get really connected to ourselves. Mm. You know, Like what's the next right step the next right step is connecting deeper to ourselves and aligning our behavior with our um, our goals or our dreams or our objectives, whatever it is that we're wanting in the world. One of the ways, that, the quickest ways that I've done that is by reducing everything else, getting rid of the things that just don't serve me. Do you end up in a place of loneliness and apathy in that regard? No. Um, <sighs> It's interesting. So in the beginning of this, there was a transition. I've been through many transi transitions. Um, um, and in the beginning, there was a transition. I went from 
my time, my social time was with people drinking. My social time was with people going to see shows, watching live music. And there was a lot of partying. There was a lot of let's let's forget all of our worries. Let's, mm. you know, disconnect from the the grind of life and really enjoy ourselves for those few days of the week. So when I started to enjoy every day of the week, those kinds of experiences were less relevant and less relevant and less relevant, which meant that those relationships were less relevant and less relevant and less relevant, which meant that there's a transition period. Mm -hmm. There's a period of, I now notice the emptiness that's there mm -hmm. because I was filling it with things that no longer serve and support me. They which no can feel me. like death. It can mm -hmm. for some of us. If we're oriented to the pain, mm -hmm. Now, I oriented my attention towards what I wanted, what I felt a deep passion and desire for. What was that for you? Well, it was the, the growth of my business, the, the living a life that was on my terms, um, a depth of study in a field that just excited me beyond anything else in the world. And by pouring my heart and soul into the things that brought me joy, uh, staying connected to my creativity, and, and, and that furthered my ability to continue forward with mentorship, with teachers, with practicing things. And little by little, my desire to be in these environments changed. And I began to meet people that were more alike the me that I had become in the mm -hmm. process. So there, there is the transition. And we, you know, as I continued to grow, there would continue to be more transitions and people would stay the same. And I learned to celebrate them for who they are and also recognize that I was changing and be willing to let go instead of holding on to the relationships, allow them to change as I was changing. And that helped me to change faster hmm. or it created space for my change to occur faster. When you depart from these friendships, when you're changing these social circles, the way that you spend your time, the things that you talk about, the books that you read, um, maybe the music that you listen to, like I referenced earlier. Yeah. It's quite possible that some of those people are not going to be fans. That's right. And you're going to be close to them. Yeah. You might love these people. Yeah. Yeah. I had to perspective? Be, well, I had to be willing to let go. <clears throat> and you had to let go not only of the relationships and the intensity of them doesn't mean you never talk to them again. Correct. You also had to let go of their opinion of you. Correct. That's tough in it the is. moment. It is. In the moment. Yeah. So, you know, now being, I'm going to say I'm 12 years beyond being bullied mm -hmm. about this stuff mm -hmm. because that happened pretty early on. But mm -hmm. early on it was, it was hard. I knew I knew I was going the right direction, but it was very hard to hear yeah. people speak so poorly about me, even though I knew what I was doing was like going to help more people yep. and lead to it. And I knew I was coming from a good place to come from was, was very healthy. Yeah. What I know now about that is very different than what I knew then. Mm -hmm. So if I had some practical wisdom to share mm -hmm. on that, when you're going through these big changes is this idea of coherence that we keep talking about this mm -hmm. idea of sensitivity yeah. of the thing that actually causes the most discomfort or incoherence mm -hmm. is not allowing 
the discomfort yeah. and not allowing the incoherence to happen. Yeah, it's resisting the resistance. We could make it last forever. That's right. It's sort of like you've got a pipe with like some hot water coming through or you're in the shower and there's hot water and you're yeah. like, no, 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 no. And you like turn it down to the lowest amount. It's yeah. going to take hours That's right. for that hot water to come through versus just a moment That's right. or like a cold plunge. That's right. If you had to get in little by little by little, like an inch at a time, it's going to be yeah. such a hard process yeah. versus just fully submerging or yeah. submitting yeah. to the intensity Surrend of that discomfort. Surrendering, really. Yeah. It's, um, we, <laughs> you're pointing to, to that. And what I find is most mystics, no matter what tradition, point to this. Can I be with what is? Mm. Can I be with myself in this moment? Whatever this moment is. So that brings me to the next side of this. This yeah. is the fun part. Yeah. Susan does all of these wonderful things. She goes through that period where she's adjusting the way that she sees herself, the mm -hmm. ways that she sees her various friendships and relationships. And she creates Spanx. Yeah. And she sells a billion dollars. Yeah. And now she's like, why me? Mm. I don't deserve this. Mm. That's too much. Mm-hmm. And again, she's resisting the intensity of that beauty in her life, mm -hmm. the intensity of all the wonderful things she's been creating. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing, right? Yeah. It is. And the underlying relational patterns, psychological patterns, physiological patterns, all of it. Right? Can I receive what happens when I do, my own sense of worthiness, what were the messages that I was, was was getting when I was growing up, what were the adaptive patterns that I created to survive in my environment, right? All of those things show up in different ways as we grow and continue on our, on our, on our journeys. And money will do one thing really well, among others, the same thing that alcohol will do. It will expand who you are, mm. right? You wanna know who a person is, get them drunk, or give them a whole lot of money. Or MDMA. Or MDMA too. Mm. That can do it too. We get them intoxicated in mm -hmm. under certain conditions, Reducing right? Reducing the inhibitions. Correct. Yeah, Reducing the inhibitions. Lowering that GABA. And and money is a is an absolute way that you can see that with people. People become more of who they are already. And sometimes that means more of that insecurity shows up. Mm. So so then we get to this really interesting thing where to some extent, I'm so interested in tactics, mm. right? So tactics for either side of this predicament, mm -hmm. which is the same predicament that we've unveiled now. Mm -hmm. And there's something that's underlying or, or understanding mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the tactics, right? Which yeah. is the energy. So for instance, we're in Austin, mm -hmm. a lot of coaches, yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs, yeah. a lot of wonderful people, to be honest. Yeah lot of wonderful people i trip over wonderful people wonder soul people every day mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um mm -hmm. what is really interesting is people who are so good with words yeah. and the way that they say their things right so the biggest one right now that just it, at least six months ago was sticking out a lot was everyone was changing to i get to do things oh, yeah and and i love that and what i've been noticing is like you can't just change the word it's actually the energy is what matters yeah. right so the the energy behind the words so whenever i'm speaking and you see me do this thing mm -hmm. i'm not really thinking about what to say i'm thinking about how to feel about what i say mm. and trying to organize the feeling get into mm -hmm. coherence with like the feeling of what mm -hmm. we're trying to portray yeah. to whoever i feel is on the other side of this yeah so that 
that comes out mm-hmm. a- appropriately, I suppose, or the way it was intended to, which is why we yeah. set the intention before going today. Yeah. So that being said, why don't we talk about some tactics mm-hmm. and we can talk about the energy behind those tactics. Mm-hmm. So the, the energy we discussed, right, mm-hmm. is essentially, can you be with what is? And that's the underlying energy, right? Yeah. Is like, can you just be with mm-hmm. whatever is here, whether that's grief yeah. or joy? Yeah. Now, what are some tactics on the grief side? Let's say someone's experiencing shame, guilt, mm-hmm. apathy, fear, anger. Well, any of those things. Um, I think it's more important to learn how to stop feeling those things than it is how to feel them. I need to know that I can press pause, mm. especially with grief, because grief returns again and again and again. And sometimes there's nothing we can do about it. Grief is a very different phenomena than, say, sadness or anger or joy, right? So how how do I manage myself? How do I get through those moments? With anxiety, there are things that I can do to support my body, and sometimes I have to ride it out, right? I'm speaking as though I'm the character in this, right? And so before I learn how to turn towards it, it's even more important to learn how to slow it down, how to nibble at it, um, so that I'm not overwhelmed. And how does someone go about learning that process? Yeah, well... And what does that look like even? So let's say family member dies Mm -hmm. someone you're very close to the grief hits like a truck Mm -hmm. right one thing right Mm -hmm. is going for long walks yeah just gentle energy movement right yeah breathing slowly in and out through the nose shallow breathing through the belly to Mm -hmm. the best of your ability yeah right Mm -hmm. not big deep breaths you don't need to like push energy through you're just allowing things to just move gently walking getting the movement listening to music that and maybe it's not happy music yeah it could be classical could be sad music could be music that reminds you of the person Mm -hmm. so what's going to happen is we're going to associate with that which is no longer present and it's going to trigger memories and the sensory memories of those things are going to bring up emotion and then we're going to remember and then we're going to feel the feeling is going to get to a point of maybe overwhelm and we're going to turn away. And let's define else. overwhelm more than I can handle. Mm. So it's like the subjective experience of saying like, okay, this is a lot and either I have something I need to go do or I'm uncomfortable feeling this intensity of those feelings. I describe it more as like the autonomic nervous system, the body hits a point where it starts to shut down. Mm. Right. Shut down is overwhelm. Yeah, like fatigue. Fatigue, yep. Um, nausea. Brain fog, disorientation, nausea, apathy. Mm-hmm. Um, an assortment of different things can start to happen. And like, I'm, I'm very, very tired. I can't get up. Um, and this is where that pause button becomes really important to right. learn. Mm-hmm. So, so we want to pause before we get there. Yeah, so how do we hit the pause button? Yeah, well... Uh, your idea of movement is is a supportive thing to do, right? So if I, if I can move my body and go for walks, being in nature can be helpful. 
um, knowing how to turn towards it, but knowing how to turn away. How do I reroute my thinking? How do I reroute my experiences? How do we do that? It's different for each of us. Mm. Some of us use things like social media. Some of us use things like television. Some of us eat. Is that a pause button? Is Netflix and chill? Sometimes it is. Wonderful. Right? Stranger so, Things season four just came I out. I saw that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, so that is a coping strategy. And it's intentional. Correct. Versus unintentional. Correct. Yeah. Mm. So... Coping strategies are useful in so much as they bring, they point our attention away from the thing that's too much, right? And we do that in small doses. It's like when I work with somebody around addiction, I don't work around stopping. I don't work with them about like to stop the behavior. We work on everything else. The behavior reduces slowly, but that behavior serves a purpose, right? It's helping them to manage something. Mm. When you say work on everything else, can you like with Susan outline what is what could that look like let's say Susan is um, is drinking alcohol enough that it's impacting her life and she's still functioning in her life yet even with the functioning there's alcohol the alcohol and her have a relationship that's impacting her quality of life she comes to me she wants to work with me she's like well I'm an alcoholic Let's discover what's working, what's going well, what needs support, and then where can she cultivate the kind of relationship connection with other that she's missing? Because oftentimes with addiction, addiction, we'll just use alcohol as an example. Alcohol tricks the body into thinking, if, like into experiencing connection, right? So the cingulate is one of the areas of the brain that's affected by um, alcohol. The cingulate also is affected by person-to-person like, -person connection. So, or it's a part of the equation when it comes to connection, right? So the more alcohol I drink, the less I, f I need people. Or I perceive I need people. The less I need relationships because I I'm getting that feeling of being relationally connected met through the substance. The more I turn to the substance, the more I need to turn to the substance because the more I withdraw from connection with people and there goes the loop and it continues on. So we want to discover like, what are the things that need to be repaired? What kind of relational things need to be repaired? How can we bring more relationships in? And so we're going to work the, the edges of the rest of the stuff in life. And this being a, a symptom of some other thing begins to reduce itself as we work on the thing that it's supporting. Does that make sense? Yes. So if we're turning to Netflix, and we're just using this as an example, but if, if um, somebody's turning to Netflix because they're, it's, you know, they're grieving and they're becoming overwhelmed, I, I think that's okay Yeah. as they're processing the grief because what we want to be able to do is turn towards it and turn away and turn towards it and turn away and learn how to move towards and move away from those things. Eventually, we want to find different kinds of behavior that support us. And it sounds like some there something could be really useful as like a general recommendation, almost like a journaling practice mm -hmm. to look at your life on a regular basis. I'll give you an example. On the 30, 30th or 31st, whatever the last day of the month is, mm -hmm. every month I've begun a practice where I have a journaling practice where I just take a look at my life that month. I take a look at mm -hmm. who I have been that month. Mm -hmm. And I just reflect on what are the things I loved about myself that month. Mm -hmm. 
I could even give myself a name, like it's its own name mm -hmm. for myself that month as an identity. Mm -hmm. And then I can kind of close that chapter and say, okay, that identity is now gone. Who am I going to be next month? And I, what that does is it gives me full permission to change in yeah. massive ways yeah. every month. Yeah. Auditing. I mean, like that's so powerful. Auditing. That word though. If we can use it in a positive. Right? Yes. Yes. Oh, of course we can. Right. Exactly. Yeah, but that's what, kind of what you're saying. Like I want to take some time to assess and reflect on all these, all of the different characters that I've played, maybe one character and then look towards the next month or look toward look ahead and say okay what do I want to adjust um, how do I want to make those little micro adjustments to me going forward which is so so I mean a lot of people who are both happy and making a lot of money um, and looked up to as what we might call successful have practices kind of like these mm. where they're reflecting where they're bringing awareness to their behaviors they're analyzing those things and then they're implementing new behaviors. They're being more strategic about how they're living their lives. So then for someone like a Susan mm -hmm. and she's working with you, do you have a, a general auditing uh, practice, like a book that you recommend or even a, a video that you send people to like have develop an auditing practice? So I know Lifebook is mm. one that Mind Valley uses. They have a, they have a program called Lifebook. Okay. I think there's a lot of free things online with that. Uh -huh. They do have a blog post where it runs you through like 12 or 13 categories of your life. Oh, nice. Where you can just kind of write out each of those categories. Mm -hmm. And the reason I feel like this is important is because if you go so far down or up into the rabbit hole mm -hmm. on either side of more towards shame or mm -hmm. more towards enlightenment, yeah. it's it's sort of easy to stop auditing mm -hmm. well yeah right because we get kind of drawn into the emotion of it mm -hmm. instead of the analyzing of it yeah so i would love to hear you break down anger real quick too mm. so let's say someone is experiencing anger maybe incoherently there's fits and spurts mm -hmm. of it and they're not really maybe they're they kind of know where it came from mm -hmm. they are having trouble like just allowing it mm -hmm. what's the recommendation i'll circle back to that the recommendation so you mentioned something on mind valley um a friend of mine, Hal Elrod, wrote a book called The Miracle Morning. Um, Hal's book's great. I point towards the practices of savers, which is the morning practice that Hal recommends. And I also point towards the artist's way, Julia Cameron's work. So those two, taking those concepts, and Evan Pagan talks about this too, in the morning, having a place where my thoughts just, they're just floating in my mind can come out, where there's no need for punctuation, there's no need for me to reread them. Right? And then there's a cultivation of a short practice of being with myself daily. Right, So that's one way of paying attention to where we are. And then I have a whole like, it's like a worksheet of sorts that I will give people of my own that helps them to go through the different sections of their life and kind of mm -hmm. address them. Like, Is that worksheet a public thing? It's not. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, well, I could break it down. Just... From who we are right now, and for the listeners, they can do this at home. From where you are right in this moment in time, look back over your life, 0 to 5, 5 to 10, 10 to 15, 15 to 20, 20 to 30, 30 to 40, and so on and so forth. And do you could do five-year blocks and start writing what you remember about your life. And take your time. Take a couple of hours to go through, maybe put it into a document and, and put the 
the titles of the sections as 0 to 5, 5 to 10, and write down what you remember about your life and who you were and what life was like. It's going to be different every year when you reflect on your life because who you are is different mm. every year. And you'll see it differently. Mm -hmm. when if I you spot it, you got it. It's exactly it. When mm -hmm. I first started um, experimenting with a variety of different kinds of work, one of the things that I did with um, with the clients that I took on at the time was I did a life audit or a life review. And the first five days of, of our contract. Oh, that's fascinating contract, to think about how different yes. and how revealing it is. Yep. The first five days of our contract. Because it's not met. about what happened. It's not about what happened. It's, it's about totally how about we, where they are now. It's about how we perceive what mm. happened. Yeah. And that tells us more about who we are in this moment than our story does. So for the first five days of our work together, we'd spend two to four hours every single day meeting. And I would write and they would talk. And I didn't say much of anything. And they just told me their life story. How many times have you told your life story recently where you started at the beginning and you went all the way to right now? Unless you've recently got into a relationship and you're helping the person get to know you and your history, and not everybody even does that. We almost never tell our stories, right? But for me, yeah, the point of this, like the contextualizing of like, this is who this person is from right now. And then they, I made, made notes and they got a copy of all my notes. And then I let that be. I didn't go in and analyze it. We didn't pull it apart. We didn't try to fix the childhood problems. We didn't try to, you know, address any of the things. We didn't pathologize it. We didn't make it mean anything. We moved forward and we started working on the here and now. So to come around Profound. to your question about anger, how do we start working with it? Well, for one, anger is great. What we call anger is our protective response. That's it. We've personified it, we've given it characteristics, we've made it good or bad, we've associated it with mythic um, entities, right? Myths. But at its most fundamental form, anger is our energy, like our our innate biological need to survive. Whether I'm mobilizing to get away from a threat or I'm mobilizing to move towards a threat. Because one of those two. Right? And so. I don't need any narrative to work with anger. In the work that you do, we're working with anger. I have a funny story. So mm -hmm. as far as like the giving context and, and making this concrete, these these two friends of mine, Justin and Lori. Mm -hmm. uh, Lori has been my oldest female friend for nine years. And Justin, I met in 2017. And I first time I went to London and met him, we hung out for 10 hours a day for five days in a row. The day I met him, it was nonstop just really intense not dissimilar to you actually you'll love each other <laughs> very intellectually deep both of them are mm -hmm. they got married i introduced them to each other she was in la he was in london it just seemed like a good fit yeah. it was a really interesting thing i lived with them in santa monica when they first got married because Lori and i were living in the same place and then justin came over and then it and then we we're like okay he's gonna live here now because he's from london and when they would get in arguments it would be like you know, silly things, whatever it was to me, right? As an outsider, but to them being in the moment, That's right. it was very intense for them. Mm -hmm. And after, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, I would just allow these things to happen. And they're not like yelling or anything. They're not like that, but they're just like going back and forth, trying to like win, right? Mm -hmm. And I would just come up and I'd be like, let's say for instance, like 
Lori took out the trash, but she had like a work call and it was smelling bad and Justin just couldn't do it for whatever reason and was lazy. Mm -hmm. That was what she would say. She would take out the trash and then be upset about it. So I would walk up and Justin would be really upset and offended and Lori would be really upset and offended at each other, Mm -hmm. right? And I would just walk up and be like, Lori, Justin's trying to say that he loves you. He's trying to say he's so sorry that he didn't do it because he had such low energy because he's been doing all these other things today and he moved across the world to be with you and he definitely wants to be here with you. He's just telling you right now that he's upset that you feel upset at him because he he just loves you so much. Lori, and I would be like, Justin, Lori's angry at you because she has risked everything to allow you to come and live here because she loves you so much and she just wanted you to do this one thing to help her out and she sees it as an offense against her respect and her boundaries with you but she loves you completely and is now upset that you're upset that she's upset and you both love each other tremendously now hug it out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i would do that like at least once a week Mm -hmm. and be like all i see as an outsider is love here that's right and it's taking the form of anger. That's right. Yeah. Well, and what we have at play are triggers. Triggers from attachment patterns, from bonding patterns, from and it's there's a threat to our connection. So what do I do? I fight to get connected. But in my fighting, I'm not getting connected. And the more disconnected I become, the more afraid I become. And the more I fight. Mm. And so this goes back to the original point. Can you be with what is? Right. Because in this example, if you didn't take out the trash and you come in and she's frustrated and she took out the trash because you wanted to, the easiest thing to do is be like, I'm so sorry. I see in your eyes Mm -hmm. that that meant a lot to you. Mm -hmm. And I was just tired and i am so sorry i would have loved to do that and i'm Mm going to do better next time Mm -hmm. and if i don't i'm still sorry Mm -hmm. right so can i be with what is her having an emotional response experiencing emotions let me put it that way can i be with um, my partner experiencing emotions even if they're telling me it's because of me can i be with them in their experience of emotions. And knowing, like your life story exercise that you do with people, mm-hmm. that it's actually not about you. Correct. It is about their perception of That's you, right. which is really all them. Yeah, and it's about their Without desire. letting that become narcissism. Well, well, right, <laughs> well, and there are examples of narcissistic um, extremes, but in this equation, it's, <clears throat> can I recognize that in you, you're experiencing an emotion and something is very important to you and underneath all of that it's about our connection and you're feeling something right now and when i can get into that caring place inside of me it doesn't matter what words you're saying what matters is that you know that i'm here with you and you're having feelings you're experiencing those feelings and they're 100 real inside of you can we be in coherence with each other right Hmm. and when that happens, the words don't matter, right? I can say, you're like, why didn't you take out the trash? I hear how upset you are. I hear how important it was for me to do that. I didn't do it. 
dropped the ball. Would you like to share more with me? Can you tell me more about how you're feeling? What else is there? Right? Now, there's some situations where you might become a pinata. Could be. And and it's up to me to modulate my boundaries. Mm. And how do you and that's how a lot of these fights can still occur mm-hmm. is is modulating those boundaries, right? Well, a boundary it doesn't look like me saying something or demanding that something changes. A boundary looks like somebody berating me, let's say, or somebody telling me over and over and over again something. If I'm really not triggered in the midst of listening, then what I'm getting cued into is that they're not feeling empathized with. They're not feeling like there's a resonance and a connection. I'm not connecting with them in their difficulty. I'm not connecting with them in their discomfort. But if I'm not, if I'm triggered, right, that might become overwhelming. Mm. And if I become overwhelmed, I can say, please don't treat me this way. But that's not a boundary. That's a demand that somebody else do something to make me feel better. Um, and we're not talking about examples of abuse. Like we're leaving that off the table here. But to create a boundary would look like we're really upset right now and I can't stay here in this conversation when I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. I'm going to, I'm going to walk out of the room and I'm going to take a few minutes to myself and I'll return in five minutes or in a half an hour once I've cooled down, right? It's, I'm making it about me and my needs. I'm not saying that I have to get out of here because you're just yelling at me and you're being mean to me. I don't say anything like that. What I do is I make it about my needs and I take the action that I need to take to take care of myself. Mm. Right? And I allow my partner to have their experience and their emotions. Right? There may be a trigger in there for them in that. And there may be a trigger in me for that. But this is this is that, that complex dance that we're doing. And we're kind of playing out a scenario, like one-sided scenario here. Yeah. But the attachment dynamics that, that, that show up in relationships, man, it's big. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. And let's say somebody... Well, in, well, here's another thing. Sorry, let me throw this yeah. out there. So when we talk about... So again, the understanding here is that if you can get in coherence with yourself yeah. interdependently correct, and get in coherence with each other, that's right. these things can solve quite quickly. They do. And that's what I was going to ready to paint a picture of. So then in the moment of incoherence, Blair, uh, Garen's wife, mm-hmm. they have this thing called, uh, can we have a redo? Mm-hmm. And they'll go back in time 10 or 20 minutes to mm-hmm. whatever physical action they were doing, getting out of the car, mm-hmm. making tea. They'll redo it all physically. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then and then they'll redo whatever happened. Mm-hmm. And then someone gets to make a different decision leading up to that. Yeah. Or if they don't have time to do the redo, they do what's called parking lot. Mm. And they'll schedule a time to do it. To yeah. do it. And then once they've scheduled, they say, okay, we are back to loving husband and wife until the parking lot time. Yeah. So that they can that both... takes an enormous amount of self-control on both parts. So my question is, could what would be the benefit? Or I'm, I want to encourage people to experiment with this. Of mm-hmm. like, they find themselves in this moment of incoherence, and say, and "This is going to sound weird, but if both can agree to this ahead of time, that when we have this moment, can we do a five-minute dojo track mm-hmm. or a ten-minute one, mm-hmm. and both?" interdependently get into that coherence but also with each other at the same time and that's that body breath and sound it's really all three at the same time and in like a super subtle way that requires so little effort Mm. you know or even effortless yeah and then can we have a conversation about this well and what you and i are talking about is interrupting the more primal response in the body Mm. 
and what um, Blair and Garen, like what Blair is talking about with her and Garen, what that does is it interrupts the animal trigger. Right? So I'm tr- I'm in a trigger, which is I'm in a th- like a threat response. My mm. system says there's a threat. Yeah, that nervous system response Correct. and the emotional response. And the emotional response comes with it. So if I stay swirling in the trying to figure out the, the conflict, what can often happen is that trigger gets bigger and bigger, and I'm feeling your trigger, you're feeling my trigger, and it just gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, and which bigger, just right? means fight or flight and emotions are gathering. Correct. And when that happens, blood flow is diverted from my thinking part of my brain. My neocortex is getting less and less blood flow, which means I'm thinking less and less clearly, which means I'm saying things that are more reactive, and that compounds. We have um, a saying with my within my last relationship, was somebody has to be the neocortex in the room. Right, somebody, has, somebody has to be the thinking mind in the room that can say, well, hang on, we got to pause, we got to redirect. Like this example of, that Blair gave of like, let's replay. It's a great example. Let's, let's use this trash example real quick, right? A different way that this could happen is if we're both in coherence with ourselves, this is why our own personal work is so important, is, wow, I notice, so I just took the trash out and I'm, and I'm really aware of this trigger that's happening inside of me, could we sit and talk about it? Could we connect? Uh, because I have some feelings that are coming up and I know they're not about this moment. And it's hard for me to separate them. Would you be wi- willing to be with me in this and listen? Yes, I'm, I'm here with you. Tell me about your experience because you matter, right? Now we are connected in the discomfort. We're being with the trigger, we're exploring the trigger I'm not taking on responsibility for your state while I am um, acknowledging the impact of my behavior on you. Right? And there's a difference between responsibility and impact. I do something, you have an experience. I'm responsible for the impact of that behavior while I'm not responsible for your emotions. right? And so by being responsible for that, I can show up with you and say, wow, I'm, I hear that was for you. Jeez, I didn't think about that. I wasn't aware that you would feel that way. Mm. God, I don't want you to feel that way. Let's talk about the trigger. You discover something about yourself. There's enough safety between us. I discover something about you. And now I'm learning how to bring more support and love and care into the connection between you and I. And you're learning how, how to unwind some of the trigger points that are, that are stuck inside of you about certain things that have nothing to do with the trash have to do with the trash shameless plug to pre-qualify someone for mm. a conscious relationship they would love to hear this episode oh seriously right yeah so for all of you <laughs> yep. if you're trying to pre-qualify a partner and they think this is boring maybe just allow them to move on that's right and find someone that loves this episode that's right that's right it takes, I mean, it takes both of us being willing to turn towards the parts of ourselves that we don't want to feel. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, even as you say that, right, like my response to that after experiencing the things I've experienced is that's turning towards the parts that I do want to feel. Yes. Right. And that's that's a subtle thing that shifts over time as you start to recognize that if I do turn towards the part that mm-hmm. I used to not want to feel that now I, I want to feel with my partner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then that deepens connection yeah. beyond any peak experience, actually. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. The yeah. deep experiences that we can move through together yeah. are 
are the experiences. And it builds safety, right? So when I can let my guard down and be vulnerable, expose a part of me to you that could lead to like me feeling more pain, and I'm met in that, we are instantly closer. Mm. And when you share a part of yourself with me, like, and I'm with you in it, and I'm not judging you, and I'm neutralizing those judgments. Or at least holding them internally. Or at least holding them internally, right? <laughs> and ideally, I want to find a place inside of myself where I am neutral about it, where I can receive those parts of you and go, wow, I don't fully understand, and I want to understand more. I want to understand it's not about me. It's about what you're experiencing and what you're experiencing is real. Mm. Like, that's the thing. That was one of the missing pieces. I did some work with a guy named uh, Pat <clears throat> Siebert. He's here, local in Austin. He's a Feldenkrais practitioner. Amazing. He also studied with uh, Marshall Rosenberg, so nonviolent communication. And what I learned with Pat, it was more like integrating the philosophy of nonviolent communication, which is there's there's a there's a need underneath that. And when I can be with somebody, I'm getting myself out of the way, and there is a depth of connection mm. that is often missing. Mm. Because what you're experiencing is about you, and I want to hold you in that. Now I can be with the richness of that experience. But again, here we are back to experiencing our aliveness. Mm. So let's see. We're at, oh my, really? Do you Wait, realize how long we've been talking? It's an hour and 20 minutes right now. <laughs> Holy crap. Okay, so so then question. Wow, it's about to be 6 p.m. Okay, let's get into this. Let's get into our two sides of this. Yeah. What are the things that you do to be in coherence with yourself? Mm. And and again, this is like very, probably very high level stuff that yeah. you and I do. Yeah. And you might have to like work your way there. Mm -hmm. But just so that they have an example, mm -hmm. what are the things that you do? Well, I'm, man, I'm practicing trained awareness essentially i'm noticing my body i'm noticing my breath i'm noticing my muscle tone do you set aside time to do that or is this underlying at all times for it's you it's underlying throughout the day through pretty much everything i'm doing so it's embodied for you. it's embodied at this point and at some point it was not embodied no what i where i began um was i had little alarms set on my phone to go off on my calendar every hour or so that said somatic awareness it was my mm -hmm. trigger uh, to turn my attention inward, to pause, to notice my breathing. Don't force my breathing. Simply notice it. Is it short? Is it shallow? Is it deep? Is it long? What's my muscle tone like? How's my posture? Where am I clenching and holding? Where am I soft? Right. Just scanning my body, bringing awareness to the inside. What are my thoughts like? Am I in any daydreams? What's the, the, the overall tone right at the moment? Right? So continuing to return to those things and bring awareness to them. I mean, I, I do, I don't float as much right now, but I, there for a while I was floating four times a week, 90 minute floats each, each time. And so like that it's time with ourselves mm -hmm. again. So space, space, just space yep. of nothingness. Yeah. And I build space into my life. So space in the mornings, space in the evenings, off of devices with myself sitting outside and the intention Again, because like doing these actions is not the thing. No. It's the energy behind them. Just like switching the words is not the thing. It's right. the energy behind it. And giving yourself this space as intentional time to become somatically aware of your body, breath, and, yeah. and sound. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I want to be aware of 
the fullness of me, right? As I described somatics last time, I think when we were talking, it's the fullness of my being, right? My living wholeness. So the living wholeness is all of those things. It's the thoughts that I'm thinking. It's the movement patterns. It's my sensory awareness and the channels of awareness of my body, where I am in space, right? Proprioception, interoception, right? Then my thoughts are the more than just the thoughts, my imaginings, the images that I'm like, what am I smelling? What am I seeing? What am I imagining about my day? What are the words playing inside of my head? Right. And I also want to notice what are the emotions that I'm experiencing. And I want to also highlight, and I know this about you, there's no judgment. No. Yeah. That's so the like piece. the words playing in your head, there's a phase in life where you might be like, oh, why am I saying that to myself? That's right. That's right. You can just say, oh, it's interesting that I'm saying that yeah. to myself. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah, that's exactly right. Good distinction here, Skip. So can I be aware without labeling it mm -hmm. good or bad? Can I just be aware? That's it. Yeah. Can I just yep. feel? Yep. And you'll notice that when I talk about things, I have a tendency to bring more neutral language. And in life, I, I, this has been a practice of mine so much so that it's mostly integrated where when I use language to talk and discuss, talk about and discuss things, I'm finding a way to say it as neutrally as possible. So I'm neutralizing the polarity while also acknowledging the paradox that both are true. Mm. Right. And so when I'm being with myself, wow, I'm so sad right now. Wow. There's that sadness. This is what it feels like. It feels like a can feel a soft welling of the tears in my eyes or the tightening in my throat or the constriction in my chest and the way that my breathing changes my heart rate changes then my my muscles in my stomach soften there's a heat that moves into my face right like there are all these different things that are happening and then i have the thought again of the thing and i imagine the scenario the picture in my mind comes again and then i have another flooding of experience in my body sensations and emotions but can i create distinction between these things while also not being like swept away by them right so it's feeling without being consumed by the feelings noticing without placing judgment on them and categorizing them having awareness of things without it distracting me from my awareness of things and here we, we go, kind of go in loops i have this process that i teach which we call a soma check-in in the course that i run which is we can all do it right now in my body i'm noticing and see if you can find a word a sensation word in my body i'm noticing so i'm noticing softness in my belly and tightness in my back and similar to your exercise earlier the words and the way that you describe the things is something that you could note over time. That's right. Because they will change. So like 100%. For like me, it's different now. The words that came up were I'm feeling excitement mm -hmm. in like my belly mm -hmm. and in like my body. Well, and so here's the secondary piece of this, right? So the way I will frame the sentence stem is in my body, I notice and I'll name a sensation or two or three. And then I'll say I'm experiencing and I'll name an emotion. So excitement would be the emotion you're experiencing. And there's also a bodily sensation that links to that, right? And maybe it doesn't link to it. 
So I may be experiencing softness and tightness. I may be experiencing warmth in my cheeks or in my ears, but coolness in my toes, or noticing rather. And I may be experiencing joy, but I might also be experiencing sadness. I may be experiencing some anxiety while also there's ease. Right. So what I'm doing with this sentence stem is I'm creating distinction between my thoughts, my sensory awareness, my, my sensing self, my sensations, my body, and my emotions. Mm. And I also want to point out that you you noted a lot of polarities mm. that are coexisting. That's right. And that is perfectly normal. hundred percent. It's normal so and it's normal for us to have experiences of emotions all the time. Mm. They're always present. It's more that our awareness is not including them. It's like a flashlight. That's right. We point it or the floodlight. Mm -hmm. Right. So the reason I create this distinction is because in language we confuse thoughts, feelings, thoughts, emotions, and sensations. Mm -hmm. When I say I feel I feel that you is an assessment of thoughts about what you think or what you perceive. I feel you do this, so that, and the other thing. I feel this. I feel that. We, we, we confuse our language. So when I say feel, it may be a series of thoughts that you're having. It may be emotions. It might be bodily sensations. But I'm not creating distinction mm. with my language. So I do this in a way to help myself to create distinction between like what is it I'm no I'm aware of? Am I aware of a bodily sensation? When I say feeling, am I aware of an emotion? Or is it a series of thoughts that dictate my perception of the thing that's happening? Am I creating a a meaning about all the things that are happening inside? Exactly. And, and, that, and that goes that. back to that whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. That we brought up. 20 minutes ago or so mm -hmm. or an hour ago or who knows right <laughs> which is noticing whatever it is yeah. and just and that's it that's right and just noticing which is exactly what we teach in the dojo is like yeah. you're just feeling yeah just to feel yeah. and there is no right or wrong someone's like oh that's tight that's bad i'm like actually that's a good thing a lot of the time yeah and someone's like oh that's loose that's good i'm like actually that's a bad thing yeah. a lot of the time but who knows that's right right we're just not sure that's we're just right. feeling Mm -hmm. We're just going to let your body to feel because mm -hmm. I just believe the super intelligence of it yep. is beyond what we can understand. So don't worry about trying to figure right. it out. Right. It knows what's up. It's definitely perfect. That's, That's all I know for sure mm -hmm. is that what you are feeling and what you're experiencing is perfect mm -hmm. for right now. Yep. And the rest of this conversation can help you move into different directions based mm -hmm. on the intention that you set for your life yeah. and the things that you would like to experience. You can't necessarily change it right now you can set that intention, turn the floodlight on it, mm -hmm. and notice what happens. And the more we bring awareness to ourselves, the more likely it is that the thing will change of its own accord. Mm. There was something that you kind of pointed towards throughout the entirety, and I'm imagining you do this each time that you run the workshops that you run, or even any of the trainings that you, that you run teaching people this process, where it's, the body has a natural intelligence. It's, it's working to support us. What we call in our training, the natural self-writing mechanism that exists inside of our bodies at all times, the body's natural inclination to seek equilibrium or balance. That doesn't always look like the two hemispheres of the body being equal or two parts of a muscle being equal. 
It's the difference between harmony and balance. Yes. So it's looking for, like, when I stand on one foot, there are stabilizers in different parts of my body that are activating, but they're not the same place on both sides of my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and when one organ is deficient in something, that means that we're drawing resources from the rest of our body to support that one area. That's in an attempt to help us be in balance, though. And the easiest way to relate this to people in as far as insofar as the body and thought goes is blood pressure medication. Beautiful, yeah. Not that it's a bad thing. It saved many lives. But the wonderful analogy that always comes up is like your blood pressure is high for a reason. Yes. And we've discovered over the years that if you were to just lower that, it throws off so many things. Or if wolves are bad, but you take them out of an ecosystem, it destroys the ecosystem. And so you just are like, oh, oh, okay, this, your body is really, it is perfect. And beyond that, your life really is perfect. And Mm -hmm. You know, they say understanding comes at the end. Yeah. Right? Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. So you won't really know. So to share, I have a I have a couple coherence practices. Mm. One of them, um, I have some physical ones. So the physical one is every morning I make time at some point before noon to go for a barefoot walk. Mm. Ideally I do it right away in the morning. Obviously when it's cold out, I put on shoes. To the best of my ability, I go for a walk. And when I can do it barefoot, it's wonderful because I can just be really present. I can step on the rocks and feel a little bit of pain and like move away from them, which is what I'm going to invite you to do after this. Mm-hmm. And just be in my body. I don't take a phone with. Mm-hmm. If there's someone over, I might go for a walk with somebody. But a lot of the times I go by myself. And I just enjoy that experience of walking, allowing the energy to move, rotating, doing all the movement stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And just appreciating. I try. It's a practice of gratitude and appreciation for like my body, mm-hmm. the energy in it, and also the, all the things around me. Just noticing them. 